Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. I'm your host, Molly, and I don't want to talk to your personality. I want to talk to your soul. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power. You just didn't know that. And now you do. On this podcast, you'll learn to view your symptoms as saviors, as alerts from your body, mind, and spirit that want to let you know when you're out of alignment with the deepest yearnings of your soul. From chaos comes clarity. Through working with and integrating the concepts we'll explore together, you'll emerge transformed, standing in the ashes of the person you used to be. Returning OG listeners, welcome back. And for new listeners who've never heard an episode before, and this might be your first time, welcome to the podcast Back From The Borderline Family. You'll all be hearing some lovely sounds of water and chimes in the background because I wanted to get us into a more mystical state of mind for the topic that we're going to be exploring today with a very special guest. Before we move into my interview, I want to talk about dreams and tee this conversation up so that we're in a good space to be able to discuss this. And I want you to understand why I wanted to have Naomi on the podcast. Dreams. 
we all have them and there are different types of dreams some of us are more connected with our dream world than others dreams are the ethereal tapestries woven by our subconscious minds as we sleep they are windows into the depths of our psyche painted with symbols emotions and archetypes and dreams are the language of the soul a cryptic code that invites us to decipher its messages even though many of us don't pay much attention to them dreams can hold profound amounts of significance they are the whisperings of our unconscious mind our dreams can reveal our innermost desires fears and unresolved conflicts our dreams can serve as a bridge between our conscious and unconscious selves offering insights into our true nature and by unraveling the symbolism and working more closely with and becoming more deeply conscious of our dreams we can gain deeper levels of self-awareness find guidance and allow some inner facilitation of more profound levels of personal growth and healing in ancient cultures dreams were revered as sacred visions bestowed upon individuals by the gods or spirits and these visions were consulted for guidance in matters of life death and destiny shamans and mystics from all over the world have for thousands of years acted as intermediaries interpreting dreams to heal physical and mental ailments, resolve conflicts, and guide decisions of their tribes. Dreams were seen as a means to navigate the treacherous waters of the human experience, offering solace and wisdom in times of suffering. Sadly, in the modern age, we have grown estranged from our dreams, and the relentless pace of life, the vast amount of distractions and the relentless pursuit of material success has meant that many of us have severed the connection between our conscious and unconscious realms we've turned our backs on the dream world dismissing it as mere fantasy and thus our souls remain adrift in this sea of superficiality and meaninglessness the collective disregard for our dreams in the modern era stems from a reductionist worldview that prioritizes the tangible and measurable. Our technological marvels and obsession with productivity have led us to devalue the ethereal and ineffable, more numinous nature of our dream world. Society has relegated dreams to the realm of something very inconsequential which is a tragic oversight that blinds us to the wealth of insight they have to offer us. By neglecting our dreams, we forfeit the opportunity to tap into our inner wisdom and navigate life's challenges with greater clarity and purpose. Dreams can serve as a compass, guiding us toward our authentic selves, helping us heal emotional wounds 
and offering creative inspiration. Ignoring our dreams is similar to turning a blind eye to the wellspring of our own potential, leaving us impoverished in spirit and disconnected from our true selves. Dreams are not mere phantoms of the night to be ignored away as you grab your phone the moment that you open your eyes in the morning, forgetting about them immediately. If we allow them to be, dreams can be the keys to unlocking the doors of self-discovery, healing, and profound transformation. It's time that we rekindle our reverence for the dream world and listen to its whispers because in doing so, we can find a new path to wholeness and enlightenment. In this conversation between myself and my guest, Naomi Sangreal, you'll be hearing us talk about the all-too-forgotten dream world. The theme of this interview and the main takeaway that I felt that I walked away with after this conversation was all too often, most of us are outsourcing our healing. We are placing so much importance on the words of other people, YouTube videos, Instagram carousels, Googling articles online, but we are so quick to dismiss the messages that our body sends us, the messages that our subconscious mind sends us through dreams. And something I've been working on in my own healing journey is getting out of my head and back into my body. And many of us who grew up in environments where we endured chronic abuse, chronic emotional neglect, those of us who are survivors of childhood sexual assault and grooming, one of the things that happens is we become very disconnected from our own inner world, from our own intuition. To be safe, we had to leave our body. It was safer up in our minds. But the wisdom, the wellspring of healing is located within, in the body, in the unconscious. Our minds and bodies know what we need. We talk ad nauseum on this podcast about how our symptoms are our saviors and that the definition of savior is one that saves from danger or destruction. And through this new lens, we can begin to see painful mental health symptoms as natural responses that we can learn to become fully conscious of and slowly change. Our symptoms, these things that we struggle with most, these physical manifestations of pain and illness or the mental manifestations of suicidal ideation, chronic feelings of emptiness, lethargy, depression, anxiety. These are alerts from our subconscious mind, from our body and our spirit that want to let us know when we're out of alignment with the deepest yearnings of our soul. And this conversation with Naomi and this exploration of dreams takes this to a new level because on the podcast we've been talking a lot about the breakthroughs i've been having personally with somatic experiencing work working with trauma-informed therapists that help me get back into my body and in addition to this working with 
more metaphysical concepts, working with my dreams and tuning back into my own intuition has been profoundly healing in a way that I could, could never even begin to describe to you here. And I'm coming to you now as just three years ago, having been the biggest skeptic of all time of anything that I perceived to be more metaphysical that wasn't grounded here in the three-dimensional reality that I could see with my mind. But what I'm learning now is that all of us have so many veils through which we see the world and the way that we see people, places, and things. And many of these veils are distorted lenses that have been tainted and foisted upon us from early childhood experiences and now through working with my dreams through getting into my body and exploring these concepts i feel like i can see more clearly and i hope that you gain just as much from this conversation as i did and if you've never worked with your dreams before or if you have a hard time remembering your dreams that's okay just open your mind to this conversation and see what comes up for you. My guest today is named Naomi Sangreal, and she was born and raised in Southeast Portland, Oregon. In the introduction that Naomi sent me, she wrote that she grew up somewhere in the crossfire of Jewish mysticism, former deadheads, and the West Coast punk scene, outsider artists, and radical feminism. Naomi also writes, I'm an avid dreamer, artist, and magical psychotherapist. I'm a sister, a creator, a loving friend, community builder, and passionate adventurer. I love learning, and I'm especially interested in the paranormal, magic, the occult, dream spaces, outer space, Jungian psychology, and interpersonal neurobiology. I hold a master's degree in counseling and depth psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute and a BA from Naropa University in contemplative and transpersonal psychology, specializing in art therapy and visual art. Since 2017, I have been a resident consulting intuitive, dream specialist, and reader teaching at Ritual Craft, Denver's premier witchcraft shop. I have offered a variety of courses on dreams, nightmares, and shadow work, and the ever-popular class in three parts, Psychology for Witches. I am the founder of my private practice, Magical Psychotherapy, and it's my honor to hold space for the transformation of my incredible clients. I work with brilliant, highly sensitive neurodivergent artists, intuitive symbolic thinking creatives, astrologists, psychics, magical mothers, deep dreamers, and badass human beings who are courageous in that they continually show up and make space for the self-reflection necessary to invoke radical and lasting inner transformation. Today, we are discussing Naomi's new book, which is coming out on November 7th, 2023. And this book is called Little Hidden Doors, a guided journal for deep dreamers. The book's description reads, Beyond the rational, a deep well of unconscious material urges the human soul to express itself through art and dreaming as it has for millennia. This guided dream art journal offers a place to cradle your psyche's nightly imagination, presenting guided meditations, 
lucid dreaming techniques, space for art making and journaling prompts to record your wildest dreams. Author Naomi Sangreal introduces dreaming's rich history and expands upon the work of brilliant psychoanalysts, art therapists, and neuroscientists to artfully scaffold an accessible place for your innermost creative self. Here, you're invited to not only remember and record your dreams, but to expound upon them to inspire creativity, uncover your shadow, and access profound personal transformation. Dreaming is a door. Open it. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to bring you my conversation with Naomi Sangreal. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, my name is Naomi Sangreal, and I'm a Denver-based psychotherapist, artist, author, I have an upcoming publication, which will be coming out on November 7th, called Little Hidden Doors, a guided journal for deep dreamers. And it is a sort of informational journal for people to dive into their deepest dreams. Naomi, you open the book with a really beautiful quote by Carl Jung. The dream is a little hidden door in the innermost and most secret recesses of the soul, opening into that cosmic night, which was the psyche long before there was any ego consciousness and which will remain psyche no matter how far our ego consciousness extends. In the intro of the book, you mentioned that this book, quote, emerged from my direct experience with the powerful psychological transformation that's possible when one attends to the magic of their dreaming mind. And you also wrote, as psychologist Ruben Naiman suggested, American cultural bias is wake-centric and views dreaming as subservient to waking consciousness. This egocentric culture focused on productivity, a reified self, and waking existence 
often dismisses dream states because from the vantage point of the ego, the waking conscious mind does not have the capacity to fully experience dream states. American wake centrism, which I'd never heard, I thought that was an interesting phrase, continues to perpetuate the consciousness divide and invalidate the power of dream consciousness, which results in continual separation from a huge proportion of psychic content and relationship to the inner world. And this to me is like a long academic way of saying we're disconnected from our dreams. And there's ample evidence of cultures going back thousands of years, which you did a beautiful job of illustrating in your book, Native American cultures, Aboriginals, Egyptians, Celts, Druids, Greeks, Jews, ancient Islam, just a fraction of these um, ancient cultures placed so much importance on our dreams. And But I would say that most in society today don't attend to the magic of their dreaming mind much at all. And why do you think it's currently so common for people to completely ignore their dreams or shrug them off as having just no meaning at all? Uh, I think it's sort of that modern scientific mind coming back to that reified consciousness, the state of everything that we can measure, monitor, and assess. And dreams are these unbridled metaphors from the imagination that people are just stunned, bewildered by, and don't know how to grasp them or, you know, even use them, the, the term use, they're not to be even use. They're meant to be in a relational space, which is not this culture, which is the antithesis of this culture. So I think that part of that is, is about control, uh, the modern paradigm, it about subjugating our, our wildest imaginations and the places where we feel most connected to the all or each other. Uh, so not having access to that, that inner power the dream world is deeply connected to the subconscious and the collective unconscious, right? And I said in a preview of my previous interviews where I'm not into the tinfoil hat stuff, but you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to understand that it doesn't really behoove the powers that be to have everyone connecting in to the collective unconscious because that immediately shows that we all are connected and we're all not so separate from one another. I think your work is really timely. And I also think that work like yours is something that people are much more open to. Why do you find people come to you for this kind of work? I think people are curious and dreams, especially a strong dream image, just make such a deep psychological impact mm. that sometimes people are so moved and they don't know what to do with it. That was my experience when I first found my Jungian psychotherapist. Like I have all this material and I know it's meaningful, but where do I take it? How do I process it? So I find people with, you know, a lot of times recurring nightmares, things like that, that are really confusing and, and scary, but people want to have a relationship with these spaces, especially those that are more witchy or into the occult or already traversing sort of liminal spaces of mind and spirit they yeah. they want to integrate that element if if they can so they're kind of like how do i do that me and you are interesting because it sounds like and i'm going to get into that in my next question but it sounds like you've been swimming in this world since you were very young and i think that people who were who had their intuitive faculties and this this world encouraged 
uh, from a very young age are at such an advantage of being able to tap into this because I myself came into like my esoteric studies and all of this stuff at a very, um, at a much older age. And after many years of being the biggest skeptic ever and having my own kind of psyche blown apart with my own kind of like late onset, more mystical experiences that happened in really, really low moments of my life, which brought me to some of this stuff. But I think it's fascinating because we want to suppress what we don't understand. And I found myself when I was very young, like you described yourself as a little kid who was constantly wanting to ask these big questions and fascinated with these things. I asked those questions too, but the adults around me were very freaked out by these realizations and they were like, don't talk about that. And so I think that many of us are in this wake centric culture where we're just, even if we have a dream, we are so freaked out, either we're either freaked out by it or we are just enough to be like, let me Google what seeing a turtle in my dream means. Oh, a <laughs> turtle means I'm going to have a great day. And it's like, and we leave it at that. Like, it's just, it's pretty crazy to me. Um, that's just my little rant, but I'm going to go into my next question for you. I, I loved the way that you, that you pointed toward that, because I think that it is, it's an innate function that all human beings have and that's why it's so present cross-culturally and historically mm. and kids sort of just get it um taken from them so young yeah. and i think that that's kind of what you're sharing is that you 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 were there and then it sort of got erased by the people you're like oh this is not being reaffirmed so this yes. must be valuable and that's such a shared experience for many people Yes. And then those kind of faculties, right? They go into hiding because sure. what I loved that you put into your book is that even if you are like me, which I'm going to get in and ask Naomi more about this, someone who never remembers your dreams or they're really like fragmented, it's just like when you start working out at the gym and you're like, oh, I can't even lift, which is still me, by the way, I can't even lift like a 15 pound weight and it's really, really hard. Or you start running and you can only run for 30 seconds, but then you realize after you do it for a while, it's just, these are intuitive faculties that everyone has, right? It's not the fact that you aren't able to dream or that you just don't have it. You're not a mystical person. It's like everyone has these intuitive faculties that they can develop. Is that what you understand as well? Yes, absolutely. Unless you're on psychotropic medication that suppresses your ability to go into REM state, you have dreams. People mm -hmm. be like, I don't dream. I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> you're just not remembering them, just right? Just not remembering them, yeah. And you also wrote in the book that you were spending some time working with a dream-focused Jungian analyst. That also is a rarity. Most of the therapy that people find themselves in nowadays will not touch on the subconscious or dream symbols. It's going to be short-term therapy that is covered by insurance, you know, kind of like, which can also be very, very helpful. I just think that we have to tackle the conscious and the subconscious mind, right? We need balance. We can't just focus on what's right here in front of us. We also have to kind of unravel the past. And I think we often as a society get tricked into thinking, we need to think about ourselves now and like the coping mechanisms and stuff that's keeping us stuck. But we think about our childhoods. We completely don't think about the inner world at all. It's just something that we, we gloss over. 
And I would love to hear from your perspective, your training now, you have your own metaphysical studies, you've done so much research into this amazing book, but you've also participated in this kind of therapy where you're working with a Jungian analyst who's really helping you decode your dreams. I'd love to hear more about how working with dreams and dream symbols can benefit the therapeutic relationship for people struggling with really serious emotional distress and also a little bit about why you think it's so rare for talk of the dreams and subconscious to make its way into the therapeutic relationship. I have a couple points to what you're naming, you know, and the first is that like to do really deep depth psychotherapy, there has to be a foundational ego. And so a lot of preliminary work to kind of get there, if you will, is very conscious and cognitive and um, sort of more on that surface level to kind of fortify the structure that can really hold, uh, like becomes a vessel for a deeper experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that I think is really important because the unconscious is so powerful, it can really overwhelm us. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of that, a healing image from a dream is when in, when brought into the waking moment of life can really harmonize the mind, body, and spirit. And if you have ever read, or I would re highly recommend Marian Woodman Dreams, Language of the Soul, because she really speaks so beautifully. I could never do it justice the way she talks about how images are alive and work on us and uh, work with us and through us. And I think that that you don't need any training for you can have a healing image and someone might come to me with a healing image and it, it it changes their entire life to to just awaken it and become in relationship with it. Mm. So I think that that's that's one part. I also think that things are changing as far as this um, medical system that we're we have to kind of participate in as psychotherapists or not all of us, but many of us choose to. And one thing that I was struck by when I was working with Medicaid and community mental health was that one of the um, appropriate or allowable interventions was guided imagery. And so for me, that was like, okay, th this is changing, things are moving. The fact yeah. that I could use a meditative technique with a client and guide them through an image and imaginal space, and that that could be billable to Medicaid. I was like, oh yes, this is, it's happening. Um, so that sort of circuitously getting to your your other point of, generally it's, it's incredibly expensive, as you know, to see an analyst. Mm -hmm. When I was first looking for a dream therapist, if you will, I found two people in, in my town that, that did that work openly or had availability for a new client. So it was sort of rare, but I just had these recurring dreams that I just needed to find space for. So that's what really drove me into, uh, into the room. For a lot of people, they just don't even know where to begin, how to search for that, how to find that. Uh, and, and my goal as a professional is to get my LPC license, no longer be a limited licensed professional next year, hopefully by June, and be able to accept Medicaid so that I can serve underserved populations that will essentially get to see me for free and do depth psychotherapeutic work. There is something to be said for aha moments. For me, it often happens when I'm reading the work of a lot of these Jungian analysts where I'll be reading it and I go, oh, I have that epiphany where it makes sense and you can never explain it to anyone else potentially, but it just kind of 
changes something in your psyche to where maybe you don't have that problem anymore. I'm excited to be talking to you because dream work is something that I've been trying to really get more into, but I think that we can have similar epiphanies or aha moments like that with dreams. Yeah, absolutely. The synchronicities are abound. The yes. chills on my skin when I first started facilitating dream work groups, just the amount of synchronicities that would pop up in the collective and group mind. And then just the chills that I would physically experience on my body when people were speaking yes. and being moved by their Im inner images. You can't understand it until it happens to you. That's why I know that all my studies, like they're like, don't talk about your mystical experiences. That's why the phrase is like, when the student is ready, the teacher appears is in existence. Because if you try to force this kind of stuff on people when they're not ready, it will never work. So you have to be open to this stuff. And also you don't have to force yourself to be open to it either. Like let it come to you when it's ready. And that's what I'm hoping that this interview can accomplish for people is just like the first baby step in opening your mind to something. The Oracle at Delphi above is said, know thyself, because that's the key. The answers are all within, but you have to open yourself up to be able to understand it. And that's why the work of people like you is so important, Naomi. So I wrote down that another passage that resonated with me from your book was this one. So you wrote, the practice of remembering and working with dreams is a lot of work and have to specifically desire to engage with. In my personal experience, simply setting the intention to have a relationship with your dreams and making an effort to do so elicits a response from them. Just as in most other reciprocal relationships, as you begin to engage with dreams, they'll begin to engage with you. And you wrote, dreams are ethereal beings. They dissolve. If you don't pay attention to them or sit with them for a moment, they'll leave your mind. You might even get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and your whole dream will just completely evaporate from your consciousness. This is interesting because it speaks to the notion that if we're not paying attention, dreams will disappear. It's similar to what happens if you don't pay attention to or attend to a relationship or feed your pet. They'll eventually die or go away. Why is it that we forget our dreams and so many of us don't remember them? I know you touched on the fact that some psychotropic medications will prevent us from going into that state of sleep. For someone who's not on any medications, why might we not be able to remember our dreams? I think sort of what you shared, just like being out of, out of practice, having that never have been part of our daily lives or encouraged or uh, had an invitation to do so or prioritized it, have it be meaningful, can mm -hmm. also depend on when you wake up, like in your sleep cycle. If you're waking up during REM in the morning, which should be like sort of a natural awakening moment, you should get a lot of dreams at that time. If you mm -hmm. wake up when you are in really deep sleep, like your alarm goes off and it's just such a sudden shift into mm -hmm this consciousness, you might not be able to get as much. I also believe in the intelligence of the psyche. And sometimes it doesn't bring us things if we're not quite ready for them. So sometimes there'll be an onslaught of unconscious material like, okay, get in, get strap yourself in, we're ready to go. And sometimes it'll be like crickets, because maybe something is really alive in your waking life that needs attention. And your dreams, are like, okay, we're going to back off a little bit. Or they're feeling ignored and they're like, why should we talk to you? <laughs> honestly, my dreams are probably like, bitch, you're not paying attention to us. Get out of here. I honestly think that's probably it. Can you talk a little bit about if you were working with someone who is just starting out trying to develop a deeper relationship with their dreams, 
what are some rituals and things that they might do to start cultivating that? I would definitely look at um, sleep hygiene, which I talk about in the book, like really creating a, a slow drop into that awareness, not going from lights, sound, action, screen, scrolling, sp- yeah, straight <laughs> into uh, sleep. Which is what so many of us do, right? Like we are literally scrolling until we fall asleep. I, when I was in my 20s, I mean, the amount of times that I would come back from a night out and then just like wake up with my phone still in my hand, you know what I mean? Like that's not doing us any favors is what you're saying. No, it's it's hijacking our own you know, neurobiology against us essentially. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, even your podcast, Night Night Bitch, like even just having sort of like a a way to ease that transition to have candlelight or low lighting mm-hmm. and just a, a, sa- a sacred space, you know, going into the bedroom and altar room, taking time to read before bed, really starting to quiet the mind and and ease yourself into it. That's something I recommend. There's definitely other techniques that you can use, like dream incubation techniques and things like that. Um, but for somebody who's just starting out, I would just maybe even have them hold an affirmation. Like when I wake up, I will remember my dream or I invite my dream to speak to me tonight. And when I wake up, I will remember my dream. And so they're sort of holding that as they drop in. And then when when they wake up, where where was I just now? Uh, which I talk about in the book as well, because I think that we make such an unconscious distinction between the levels of awareness that if we treat the dream state just as if it was another event of our lives, we can retrace our steps more easily. That's really beautiful. The whole like, where was I just now? Because it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of just, we just start so quickly saying, I mean, it's a literal phrase in the collective uh, conscious, right? Of it was just a dream. I woke up and it was all just a dream. Even like the Wizard of Oz, which in Night Night Bitch, I talk about the metaphysical story of that, but it was just a dream. Thank God I'm here, the only place that's real. All of our language is so convoluted and it actually disconnects us from that world. But regardless of whether or not it's not a touchable reality in our waking consciousness, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have power for us. I was wondering if you've heard of this, but I read somewhere that one of the ways to help you remember your dream is to not move when you wake up in the morning. When you open your eyes, don't move, don't flip over. Can you talk more about that and and why that is? Yeah, I I wrote a little bit about that in the book. It's sort Mm. of like our somatic intelligence is also, our body is also holding the dream. There's Mm. Psyche and Soma are very, very interconnected and intertwined. My supervisor, she's actually a PhD in somatic psychology, which I'm not a somatic therapist, so it's really helpful to have that balance. But if you let the dream be alive in your body and you don't move, it's it's more likely that that memory, the body memory, you'll be able to pull back into the moment. And as soon as you you know, if you are going to make movements, micro movements, slow movements, or even I, I talk about just even moving your hand across a piece of paper or, or, or trying to bring the dream into your hand into that the blew my mind. And that helped me because I've been going like, how do I get like my light on and like not wake my partner up? But you were right. Like just opening a page in your dream diary. And you said you don't even have to be really even making intelligible notes. Talk more about that. Cause I think that will really help the listeners. Like you can literally just scribble on the page. I think that that is, 
you know, a technique that's been used in art therapy and breath work and automatic writing. You're just sort of ch channeling that unconscious liminal space energy when you do that. And mm -hmm. it's it's in, intertwined in, into your body's memory. So even if you just start scribbling, you're sort of imprinting that in in your psyche body matrix if that makes sense fascinating like, because you're setting the intention to do so even if it's from that place of really sort of whimsical laxical yeah. consciousness it should activate something it should cement something it's like sending a message your conscious mind is basically saying to your dream state that like hey i see you i'm paying attention to you it's like inner child work that was a really powerful exercise that i've done where you use your dominant hand to write to your inner child and then you use your non-dominant hand to write back it can be really evocative and really powerful for some people again if you believe in it if you do it and you say this is bullshit, well then you're probably not going to have good results but that's just with anything else mm -hmm. um but that's really fascinating to me in in my own research and then you talk about this at length in the book as well symbols in our that we see in our dreams including other people that we see in our dreams that we might even know in our waking life actually represent aspects of ourself so for example if someone we knew in childhood who we didn't get along with very well maybe shows up in one of our dreams now in our adulthood maybe we haven't seen them for 15 20 years they're likely not representing themselves they're actually representing a shadow part of yourself rather than the actual person so i'd love to hear you speak a little bit about that shadow in dreams because even like for example if you see a wolf in a dream uh, an analyst might tell you that that wolf actually represents a part of you and it probably has a message for you in some way yeah there's def there's definitely lots of different theories and i sort of uh am in between in certain spaces where i get really young in some sp spaces and a little bit more spiritual or esoteric in others mm. i i feel like there's a palpable difference uh between sort of psychic or you know premonition dreams mm. and the daily language of of symbolic dreams, but we can talk more about that later. The way that I describe it to my clients is that I see it as sort of these concentric circles radiating out from the self, right? You have the nucleus, the self this is the most innermost space. And then there's all of these layers of experience and complexes and collective unconscious and things that are coming out. The dreams can hold all of that at the same time. So the wolf could simultaneously be a a, a spiritual messenger and also hold an unrealized aspect of that person's personality or psychic process. It could also be a complex energy. It can, it can do many things at one time, which is why you can spend so long just unpacking one particular dream image or, or event. Um, but I think of it as sort of the, the symbols are are our psychic energy, right? Because it's coming through us in some sense, dressing up to communicate something specific, right? And so any Jungian will probably tell you or ask you what your relationship is with the wolf first before kind of going out into the archetypal or collective symbolic, you know, um, what's the right word? Archives that yeah. have information. I think that listeners out there, if you want to start dipping your toe into that, looking into active imagination is really helpful because that was some of my most helpful early dream stuff is like, if you can remember one thing from your dream, we'll take the wolf, for example, 
writing down what message, what does the wolf mean to you? Listeners, if you want to do this kind of work, Naomi's book is great because she provides lots of prompts where, you know, you can do some work with these archetypal type images. And what I love about this too, is that you mentioned the innermost and like the innermost to me is such a beautiful concept. And you hear that through all like lots of different esoteric traditions. Doing this kind of work also reminds us of what is core of who we truly are. Because when you were describing that, what it made me feel was just how much shit that we take on that is just not ours. The ways we act, the things we're triggered by doing work like this reminds you that you actually are just that innermost being. You're not any of the crap that's been foisted upon you by like the collective and then your family of origin. That's one of my favorite things about being a therapist Mm -hmm. is just wading through shit with people to kind of find that inner gold or that inner space and watching them resonate with themselves and and be able to peel away those layers or have those aha moments even though sometimes it comes with like shame or frustration or you know oh this wasn't me and i've just been carrying around this thing the whole fucking time and it's so yes. fucking heavy but then to be able to put that down or to create a little bit of separation or spaciousness yes. and say oh yeah that is not mine i can just let that go it ties into a part that you also brought up and this keeps coming up in my episodes so i know it's important with various different people i've interviewed i think with sarah and with james hollis and now with you is talking about the wounded healer archetype basically we wouldn't be sitting here neither one of us doing this work if we hadn't gone through some really dark times, different types of dark times for each and every one of us. But what you mentioned was that that gold that's in those things. I spent so long filling myself with so much toxic shame over the stuff that I had done, the ways that I acted when I was a lot younger, that I hurt a lot of people, you know, not not physically, but emotionally, where I was just being heart prep, breaking hearts and not being the best version of myself and letting people down and not honoring my word and getting myself into really dangerous situations. And it's so easy for us to beat ourselves up. But what I love about your work and the work of depth psychology in general, it reminds me of like the Holy Grail, right? The whole point is getting to the innermost and realizing and forgiving yourself and realizing You wouldn't be who you were if you didn't have all of those horrible experiences, right? They taught you something. And so I love dream work and I love the stuff in your book because we are desperate for meaning making now, you know, that has to mean something. And if you're feeling empty and meaningless, dream work and this type of exploration is something that I think can, can provide you with that inner gold. Yeah, I could just even share the the dream that sort of brought me into my academic studies and depth psychotherapy and, and psychology yes. and it was this dream where there was sort of this like temple like structure and it had four uh, staircases on, on all quadrant sides, right? So it was like four staircases going into this building and I went inside and I go upstairs and then I go to the highest floor, I think it was three floors, which mm-hmm. is kind of a measuring of where you are in consciousness in some sense sometimes um symbolically and there was this party or event happening where there was all of these professionals there were teachers there were doctors there were um engineers and firefighters and everybody was there and everybody was talking and i was just 
sitting in the corner in this chair and I was just clenching this chair and rocking and feeling incredibly anxious as I introverted neurodiversity. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was listening to what people were saying. And so many of them were saying, I have no fucking idea why I'm doing this. There was so much um, disillusionment and so, so much lack of connection to self and meaning. And then in the middle of this event, I sort of am like, well, I know exactly what I want to do. And I just sort of yell. And then everybody like looks at me and is, is says, well, then why aren't you doing it? Wow. And I just ran out of the building and I was like, okay, I need to be a psychotherapist. I know what I'm doing. Wow. And so there was no de- need to decode that. That was like the most loud and in your face dream message you could possibly receive. Wow. I was like, okay, I'm listening. I, I will acquiesce. I will do what I need to do to get there, which was an immense amount of work on my part. <laughs> that's so- and Yeah. That's another thing is like, that's such, so to be commended because it is no small feat to go into this kind of work. It takes so many hours of studying years of you know school then you have to then when you're done with school that's the beginning because then you have to be supervised and it's just i have so much respect for anyone going into this field and also someone that is pursuing the niches that you are and having to navigate you know the more mainstream mental health but like i said i don't think there's any better time to be doing this work because the doors are are opening and i think that it's thanks to a lot of the uh, trauma-informed like somatic kind of work that's been able to be measured like the work of like Vander Kolk and uh, Peter Levine and I think that they're really helping open the doors to the more somatic stuff which I also think lends itself to this type of work too it sounds from what you've described too um okay so I think this is great because this is the perfect segue. You just talked about a big dream because my next question was, you mentioned in the book that Carl Jung once said that not all dreams are of equal importance. There are little and big dreams. And my question was for you, how do you interpret what he meant by this? And how can we distinguish whether a dream is a big or a little dream? It sounds like the dream you just described was a big fucking dream. <laughs> So can you talk more about this concept of Jung's of the big and little dreams? Yeah, I mean, the way that I interpret it is sort of like the ecology or inner landscape of your dream space and dream world. And I tell my clients, you can't all have giant sequoias and redwoods and, you know, you have to have ferns and mycelium and all of these little kind of micro undergrowth energies that, that mm-hmm. foster the whole the whole living, breathing space of your of your dream world. And so people will bring in a dream and they'll be like, I was facing groceries at the grocery store. Still meaningful. Yes, we can go there. And it's not a big dream. It's it's probably, you know, a fern or something in their in their little dream world. But then yes. they come in with a really, a really profound image and I can see how it moves their whole body. And it could be, you know, um in Monica Wickman's pregnant dark darkness, which if you haven't read, it's phenomenal. And she, she weaves in client streams in a way that I just feel is, is, is so, uh, potent and important. I'm yeah, I, I love it anyway. So mm-hmm. she talks about all these big dreams that clients have and, and how she mirrors that with their psychological and alchemical personal inner processes. 
Uh, so I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head, but I think the one that I just shared was was a big dream that I had, yes. and that was clearly not me facing uh, groceries at the grocery store. <laughs> You're aware, right? Like it's almost this whole thing really challenges you to trust yourself because I think my listeners can relate to this. I was the kind of person that outsourced all of my stuff to other people, right? It's like if you know, like when I was even dating, when I was in my early twenties, it's like, you have a group chat of girls and you send screenshots of everything a guy has said. And been like, here's what he says. Like, what do I say back? What do I do now? Like, right? like, you know, like it's the whole, but we live in that culture. It's like, we even Google the answers to everything. What does a turtle mean in my dream? Like, what should I respond back to this? Like I have a hive on my back. Do I have cancer? Right? Like we have outsourced all of our, our inner world outside of us and onto other people. And this work really asks us to trust that inner knowing. And like when you woke up from that big dream, you knew like when you wake up, you feel it. You're like, whoa, you know, it like reverberates in you. And you, everybody knows that dream too, where, you know, you dream where your partner's cheated on you and you wake up and you're actually mad at them, even though you know that they haven't done anything, right? It's just our dreams have an impact and you have to trust when you wake up and think, ooh, that that means something. So if someone, Naomi, has what they perceive to be a big dream, would you then recommend them to, you know, pick a symbol from that and do some active imagination? Like what can someone do with a big dream? Yeah, absolutely. I would do uh, imaginal dialogue, active imagination, illustration, painting, artwork. A huge part of my work has been bringing dreams into waking consciousness through art. I'm a big fan of surrealism and uh, the, the sort of uh, attending of those images and, and bringing them into this space and alivening them through paint, collage, which is a huge part of how I've worked in, in my workshops and facilitated people illustrating their dreams. I feel like collage is really accessible because it is much easier to find an energetic match for a dream image in something that already exists without bringing in the frustration of, can I articulate, do I have the skills, the technical skills to, to draw this person or, or this place? Oh, I can easily find something that resonates with collage. And so that's one way that I really encourage people to bring their dream images to life. And then a, a really magical process is then when when having that externalized, being able to then work with it in the same, not in the same way, I won't say that, but that people do with deities or spirits, mm -hmm. or the, you know, other other uh, animistic forces of of our world and you can do that with dreams and then you're sort of facing the actual dream in 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 real real life i'll put in quotes right <laughs> yeah. versus the imagination then you have sort of a symbolic concretized um physical material thing to interact with if that makes sense that makes a lot of sense i think i already kind of asked you this but i still like the way this question is worded so maybe we can get a little more juice out of this one many of us fall into the trap of using online dream dictionaries and googling what certain symbols mean and i love this passage from your book that touches on this because you wrote 
just because you have a dream about, let's say, your teeth falling out, and many people say that means you're stressed out, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what it means for you. It could be related to a very personal experience. For this reason, I would caution you and guide you away from using traditional dream interpretation books or online resources, or as Carl Jung called them, vulgar little dream books. I love that. Vulgar little dream books. So my question was, why are these types of resources and dream dictionaries counterintuitive to authentic dream work? But I think you kind of have already answered that. What I think I could flip the question though is I have this really beautiful, but which you included at the end of your book too, kind of like some common dream symbols and maybe what they tied to in different cultures and like the, the, um, maybe the collective unconscious, like these kind of archetypal images that might hold some, some weight. Obviously you don't want to just use a dream, dream, uh, dictionary online, but what are some resources that people can use that aren't vulgar little dream books? Like what what are some things that are that are good to get the the juices flowing? I couldn't actually pretend to know, but sort of what I get from his sharing that is that like it's again outsourcing your information, like not looking toward yourself, looking away from yourself. So I think as a secondary motion, going to the archetypal is is juicy and wonderful and rich and informative, but mm -hmm. starting with yourself, starting yeah. with the image and how it feels in your body, starting with what does this remind me of? What, what do I connect with this, this person, place, or thing? And starting from that place and then building yes. outward. Of course, yes, the, um, Toshin book of the book of symbols is a great one that came out se semi recently, I think. Um, I have a couple other ones that I like on my shelf that I use to kind of bring in some of those cross-cultural and archetypal themes. But I think that active imagination is in real time interaction with the dream mm. that and, and, and inner association, as long as you're not getting too far away from the dream is going to be the most rich and informative. And I think the example, right. With the teeth falling out, I've had people bring me dreams where, teeth are falling out and they become diamonds or jewels and they they kind of relate to the ancestral history of that person and like the legacy treasures that are in their family line right or something that you would never even think is going to come out of this teeth falling out dream and so i think that's kind of why cautioning away from the google the google situation but it can also be helpful and i think it can be a way to actually honor the dream like if you have a dream about uh, a vampire castle, Googling images of mm. vampire castles, just to kind of feed, feed that image in your imagination. Like mm. see you, I'm, I'm honoring you. I'm here's an offering to you. Or if there's a conscious yes. relationship there. I love the idea of kind of really honing in on the essence of this interview being don't outsource your own inner wisdom. It's so easy to just want to find yourself in people, places, and things. The alchemical gold really is within. The trap is trying to find it outside of yourself because no matter where you go, there you are. I think that what I find so fascinating about all of this is I love to remain open-minded and curious because it just feels like, especially our generation, we grew up in such a generation where it was like, this is how it is, this is how you think and any of this woo-woo shit is crazy. I'm a big believer and now after emerging from a very skeptical orientation, as I open my mind to these things, some of them click, some of them don't, but it has 
enriched my life so much and it has helped me open my mind to what is really possible. And I think that your book does a beautiful job of introducing uh, people to that. So I'll be linking to it in the episode description. And I would love to hear about what's next for you. Where can people find you? I will, of course, be linking all of your links in the episode description, but I always like to end by letting my guests just end on a note that they'd like to end on. Yeah, I guess, you know, one of my big goals is to de stigmatize mental health for magical people. I think a big thing that I notice and my elders notice or my community members and long-term practitioners notice is people conflate the two often because there is such a such overlap as you've talked about in episodes before between spiritual emergence spiritual emergency psychosis psychotic break all all of that stuff happening right or different consciousness different types of organization and so many people will think they're having a spiritual emergency or that they're cursed or something bad is happening to them and and it is a mental health issue so one thing that i really want to do in my life is to encourage people that are having uh, non-normative states of awareness or consciousness or mystical experiences to not necessarily write off mental health practitioners to to also attend to their mind yep. space with with somebody that can understand their experience if you go on psychology today and you're searching for types of therapists you can search for christian counseling that's a, that's one of the options and and my goal would to be to have magical psychotherapy on there so that yes. people could find a database of folks that are uh with one foot in each world in in the way that i that i feel that i am and that's a big part of you know one of my long-term term goals i I'm going for licensure next year to be able to take Medicaid, as I mentioned earlier, to be more accessible to folks. I see up to, you know, 35 clients in my private practice, which is currently full. I might be accepting uh, new clients early next year, um, but I really am dedicated to doing the deep work. So I really look for people that are committed to themselves and even James Hollis mentioned, right, that Marion Woodman was like, if you don't want to spend an hour a day, don't come into my office. And I think that's a little harsh. I'm a little less boundaried. Um, but but it is a deep commitment to yourself and your, your relationship to yourself. So I take that really, really seriously and I honor that deeply. Yeah, I have a book signing coming up in November at Ritual Craft, and I'll be doing a hybrid workshop, which is my class the art of dreaming and dreaming 101 sort of woven together so we will do uh dream art making live and dream working in a, in a big group together so that will be super super fun um after the release on of my book on november 7th so those are those are the big things that are coming up for me that those are, are pretty amazing big things so congratulations naomi and i will be linking um, to everything mentioned in the episode, including the books that Naomi recommended and her website and also to where you can get the book. And for listeners, when does the book come out? Because it's not released quite yet, right? November 7th is the release date. 
My right. books are <laughs> Oh, there you go. It's, it's being birthed into a fantastic season. It's a great season to be coming out as well. I imagine that this episode um, is going to be coming out sometime in October. So I think it'll be perfect, perfectly timed. I have some really exciting interviews coming up that kind of dive into the more metaphysical space. So it's going to be a really nice um, October of episodes full of just all of these really juicy subjects that I hope can open people's minds. So I'm very excited. Well, thank you so much for being here with me, Naomi. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Molly. You're just such a gem and so eloquent and easy to talk to. So I really appreciate you creating this space. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. In the episode description, you will find links to connect with Naomi, a link to order or pre-order her book, depending upon when this episode comes out. It will be officially available for purchase on November 7th, 2023. You'll also find links to some of the books that Naomi and I mentioned in the interview as well, in case you want to dive into those resources. So that's it for the free portion of Back from the Borderline. Out of all of the things you could spend your time on, out of the zillions of content options available, you chose to be here with me. But most importantly, you chose to show up for it yourself. Next up is the back half of the episode, which will be available to paying subscribers. So if you're tuning in from the public Back from the Borderline feed, lucky you, you get to hear a preview. To unlock the full episode, as well as hundreds of hours of bonus content, you can become a premium submarine today. To sign up, check out the link in the show notes or visit backfromtheborderline.com. Back from the Borderline is made possible by the support of my listeners as well as my sponsors. Before we dive into the voicemails, here is a quick word from one of them. Part of the way I'm able to continue podcasting full-time is by partnering with companies that I believe in. Listeners of my podcast and myself are all on a journey to achieve mental, physical, and emotional balance. And that's why I've teamed up with Pure Spectrum CBD, a trusted leader in the industry committed to delivering the highest quality products. Pure Spectrum believes in the transformative power of CBD and phytocannabinoids supporting our endocannabinoid system to promote balance and wellness, not just for us, but even our pets. Pure Spectrum was the very first company to open a branded CBD retail store in the United States and have even established strong partnerships with major sports organizations like the CrossFit and Olympic Games. Meticulously sourcing their hemp from trusted organic farms, Pure Spectrum rigorously tests for purity, potency, and safety. Plus, they provide third-party lab tests for every batch with both USDA organic and NSF certifications, ensuring their products meet the highest possible standards. Whether you're seeking balance, relief, better sleep, or overall well-being, Pure Spectrum has a tailored solution for you. I have personally been using and loving their high concentration CBD cream and the Tranquil CBD and CBN tincture. Both of these have been really helping me out with the pain and insomnia I experience during my menstrual cycle. 
As a Back from the Borderline listener, you get 15% off your first order by visiting purespectrumcbd.com slash BFTB. You can also find a direct link by visiting backfromtheborderline.com, clicking into my link tree and scrolling to the bottom. And remember, healing is a highly individual journey, so what works for me might not work for you. CBD may interact with certain medications or medical conditions, so if you have any concerns, it's best to seek professional guidance from your doctor. I only partner with companies I trust, and Pure Spectrum is the real deal. And the best part, one of our very own BFTB listeners is the one who brought this partnership into my life, which makes it that much more meaningful. So if you'd like to check out their products and get 15% off your first order today, visit purespectrumcbd.com BFTB. Now let's get back into the episode. All right, everyone, we are here in the premium portion of the podcast, and I thought today we would take a few listener voicemails. So our first voicemail is going to be from Anna. So I'm in a pretty serious relationship right now. We're engaged to get married. And I mean, we haven't been together real long, but I mean, when you know, you know, um, And I have a really toxic relationship with my mother. She's very abusive and manipulative. And we just had some conversations, me and my fiance did, about how I'm scared I'm going to turn into her. Um, When I lash out, I feel like I exhibit a lot of the same tendencies that I saw in my mom. And it absolutely horrifies me. And today I was having a hard time. My dad's come was coming down to visit me and I was having a hard time with that. And I, I texted them that as we're doing long distance right now. And they said, do you want to talk about it? And I did. And then I got left on red. And I was a little bit passive aggressive with them. But then they called me emotionally manipulative. And I just, that's the one thing that sets me off like no other I feel like I've just completely split on them and I I'm kind of at a loss for what to do. I I love them but I I feel stuck. Um, let me know your thoughts. Thanks, Molly. Hi Anna. Thank you for your voicemail and for being so vulnerable here. I absolutely relate to what you're going through on a variety of levels in order for us to develop healthy levels of emotional maturity to be able to know how to handle our own triggers and be able to communicate what we need and communicate calmly how we're feeling to intimate partners we needed to have that kind of behavior modeled for us growing up and so when we didn't have that It means that we have to teach this to ourselves as adults. And just like it's a lot easier for very small children to pick up other languages, learn how to ride a bike, and do certain things when we're very young, it can get a lot harder to do these things as we're older. It doesn't mean that it's impossible. It just means that it's difficult. And from what you describe, it sounds like you had a dysfunctional relationship in your family, particularly with your mom, and 
you also became engaged after a relatively short period of time. I hear you in when you know, you know, but I also have said this to myself, like with like five other people in my life of like, when you know, you know, when I was like really young and then, you know, a divorce later and like three really serious relationships later, all of whom I thought I might marry. I don't know about if you know, you know, I don't necessarily think we do know (laughs) when we are stuck in trauma bonding and um, repetitive self-destructive cycles and where we often find ourselves being attracted to people that are just as stuck in their own trauma as we are. But I'm not saying that you and your fiance can't have an amazing and healthy relationship, but it does sound like there are some things that you want to work on because it sounds like you're struggling with lashing out maybe being a little bit passive aggressive or what you describe as emotional manipulation potentially and your partner saying you're being emotionally manipulative and that's triggering you, right? And so we need to find a way to have these conversations healthily and then also just dive into these dynamics. So let's explore this. First, I want to tackle why we might find ourselves as adults reenacting the same dysfunctional behavior that our caregivers displayed in our adult relationships. So reenacting dysfunctional behavior from our caregivers is a phenomenon rooted in psychodynamic theory. So your experience, Anna, might be explained by the concept of identification with the aggressor or something called interjection. So Interjection occurs when a child, in an attempt to cope with an abusive or traumatic environment, internalizes the behaviors and attitudes of the abusive caregiver as a survival strategy. So as adults, these internalized patterns can unconsciously resurface in our relationship, and that's what gives rise to what you're describing as, oh my God, I'm turning into my mom, because hard relate over here. My dad was the more emotionally explosive one. He took everything personally. He was pretty emotionally manipulative too, but unconsciously, because that's just, it was his survival strategy. I identified with my dad, so I found myself becoming the person who's the emotional tyrant in my relationships if I'm not conscious of that behavior because of this psychodynamic concept of identification with the aggressor or interjection. So if this sounds like something you want to dive into more, you should Google interjection and really start like reading up on that and seeing if that resonates with you. I could do a whole episode on interjection, but it's a survival strategy. You're essentially just reenacting the kind of behavior that you saw growing up. And this is the kind of stuff that really can spark a lot of people wanting to dive into their recovery journey because you realize that a certain point in your life, you kind of have this epiphany moment where you're like, holy shit, I'm just basically a copy and paste algorithm of all of these toxic behaviors that I saw growing up. And none of this is actually me. And that can be really shame inducing, but also very freeing because you can recognize Anna that this isn't you, but you're going to have to work really hard to start being able to identify when you're slipping into these ways of being and thinking so that it doesn't mean that you are just going to reenact this behavior and treat your partner just the way your mom treated your dad potentially and then potentially 
recreate this if you choose to have children, um, recreate this dynamic in your own family in the future. And we want the cycle to stop with us. So next, let's talk a little bit about emotional manipulation. First, it is not fun at all to be called anything, you know, to have a, just a really broad statement made about your character, like you are a liar, you are a cheater, you are an emotionally manipulative person. The reason why that feels so triggering is because it flattens us into a one-dimensional person. This is who you are. But if someone is saying, so I don't know how your fiance worded this to you, if it was an accusation, if it was saying this is who you are, or if they were saying, you know, this is hurtful to me right now, it feels like you are being emotionally manipulative right now. And sometimes stuff hurts because it's a little bit true. (laughs) So it really depends on the, the delivery, but either way, it's not a fun thing to hear. I am speaking from experience as someone who I think acted very um, manipulatively from an emotional perspective a lot of the time. Emotional manipulation involves attempting to control or influence another person's emotions or behaviors for personal gain. Survivors of chronic abuse and trauma might develop manipulative behaviors as a survival mechanism. So Anna, in your case, and I'm just speculating here about the very small amount of information you gave me, your childhood experiences with a more dysfunctional slash abusive mother might have led you to adopt manipulative tactics as a way to protect yourself or gain a sense of control in emotionally charged situations. And The thing is, is that most times when people are doing things like this, when we slip into these survival or coping mechanisms, we're not doing it consciously. We're not rubbing our hands together like Dr. Evil saying, wow, I can't wait to emotionally manipulate the shit out of my fiance. Like that's not how it works, but it doesn't take away from how hurtful and harmful that behavior can appear for the people that we're in a relationship with. And then it also hurts us too, because all we want is to be loved and to have connection. But this type of behavior is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is going to destroy relationships, destroy connection. So if we have a tendency toward emotional manipulation, it can have seriously detrimental effects on our adult relationships. It erodes trust it creates emotional distance, it can lead to conflicts and misunderstandings, just like in this case with Anna. So your fiance's perception of you as being emotionally manipulative may strain their relationship and hinder them from being openly communicative with you in the future. So for example, when I was at my rock bottom moment with Zaz, which is before I started this podcast, which sparked a lot of my own inner journey, he gave me that ultimatum of just, I don't feel safe in this relationship because I feel like I can't come to you with my feelings because you are so emotionally explosive that it doesn't feel safe for me to even share with you how I'm feeling. And so we have to be able to get our emotional reactions and these kind of survival strategies that we had to use to survive in our childhood homes under control because they will destroy our adult relationships even though they served a purpose in childhood to keep ourselves safe. So Anna, 
becoming more conscious of these behaviors is going to be a vital step in your healing process. You can start by seeking therapy. I recommend finding someone that has, you know, a trauma-informed background that understands childhood trauma so that you can start really understanding how what happened in your past is impacting your present behavior. Journaling and self-reflection can really help identify recurring patterns and using mindfulness practices can also enhance the ability to deepen your self-awareness and have a better and more stable sense of your emotional regulation. Passive aggressive behavior, because you described that, Anna, that you kind of felt like you were being a little bit passive aggressive. You know, your partner, I get it. Your partner said, do you want to talk about it? And then you said, yeah. And then they like dropped off the face of the earth. And so immediately we can just make it all about us and just get pissed off. But the fact of the matter is, is like life happens. People can't be at our beck and call and be there when we need them. Those of us who struggle with emotional regulation and identify with the traits of BPD, I think that we can slip into objectifying our partners. We kind of can fall into this belief that our partners are there to serve us and they need to be there to attend to our every emotional need. And if they're not there the second that we need them, that they're abandoning us. But the thing is, is that shit happens. Maybe they got a call. Maybe they were at work. Maybe, you know, it's just a, a bit of a delay in communication should not start making us want to attack them or get pissed off at them or withhold from them or make them pay for it in some way. We should just be a little bit more open and understanding and give them grace because that's what we would want. Every single time now that I have a knee-jerk tendency to want to get passive-aggressive or start getting pissed off, I have to ask myself really golden rule kind of stuff that we talked about on the scapegoat series is, is this the way I would want to be treated? If someone responded to me in this way, how would I feel? And I think also we save some of our most toxic behaviors. We treat our partners and the people we love and even our parents, siblings sometimes and say things to them that we would never say to the average person. You would never treat a grocery store clerk like that. You would never treat, you know, an acquaintance or your professor at school like that, but we will just unleash on the people we love most. And those, these little moments over a marriage and you are planning on getting married, they add up and we can't put our partners through that. So it's really, really important. Passive-aggressive behaviors often stem from a fear of direct confrontation, which is really common in survivors of dysfunctional family systems. And again, this is another defense mechanism developed during childhood to avoid punishment and further abuse. Passive-aggressiveness allows us to express our anger or frustration indirectly as we might have learned that direct expression of our emotions was unsafe. So Anna, you could communicate with your fiance by first acknowledging your own behavior and its origins, and you could express your vulnerability and the fear of becoming like your mom to your fiance. 
And you should emphasize your commitment to your own personal growth and transformation. You might say something like, you know, I want to work on my behavior and be a better partner. When you called me emotionally manipulative, it triggered a really deep wound in me. In the future, could we find gentler ways to address these issues together and support each other's growth? Because in this way, you can open a dialogue with your partner that fosters understanding, compassion, and a shared commitment to healing and strengthening your relationship. It's really important for both partners to engage in this process with empathy and patience because this is a really, really deep process of unlearning. I hope that this advice was helpful for you, Anna, and I am wishing you all the best in your relationship and your healing. So our next voicemail is from a listener named Saya. Hello, Molly. My name is Saya. I'm 25 and I'm from Argentina. And um, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast a lot and it's helped me a lot. Um, along with therapy, you know, it's been helping my BPD traits and stuff. And yeah, um, what I've been struggling with these, well, pretty much for all my life is with my jealousy. Um, right now I'm struggling because I'm a chubby person. I'm not skinny. I've never been skinny. But with my actual partner, like just knowing that they like skinny people, skinny girls, just drives me mad. Like it, it, it angers me. It makes me sad. Like I can't. Um, make amends with that like it's like I go through periods that I'm like whatever who, like who cares like they love me and I'm okay with that like I can brush it off but then like once a month I get really sad and I can't help it and it's been ruining no relationship I think but yeah just wanted to get that off my chest i love your podcast molly and you're amazing thanks thank you for another really vulnerable share saya i can really understand the struggle of jealousy and also really struggling with comparing yourself to the exes of people that your partner was with before i felt this same thing in a previous relationship that I was in, I'm someone who is naturally has blonde hair, blue eyes, and a guy that I was with, I found that he was chronically liking pictures on Instagram of girls who just looked completely the opposite of me. You know, I'm pretty thin and these girls were more voluptuous and they had darker hair, darker eyes, and I was just going like... It's so hard not to think like, why are you with me if I'm the complete opposite of the person that you would want to be with based upon your Instagram activity, which of course, when we are <laughs> struggling with emotion dysregulation, we can often also get into the other toxic behavior of like chronically and obsessively looking at what our partners are doing online. And if you're in a situation where you are looking Number one, what I've learned is if you're going to go looking, you're going to find something that you're going to be able to make a story about that's going to piss you off or 
you're looking for a reason because you suspect something and then you find something seriously fucked up and then you need to ask yourself, why are you with this person? So I, again, don't know the details here, but if you're with the kind of guy who is like liking pictures of scantily clad women on Instagram, and this isn't shaming the women, do whatever you want on Instagram, post whatever pictures you want. But if you are in a relationship and you're with somebody who is liking the shit out of photos of people that are like presenting themselves in really sexual ways on Instagram, they're following OnlyFans creators or just you know the type of content I'm talking about. And that I think is a good, very good reason. You have good reason to be freaked out if that kind of behavior is happening. That would freak me out if you were my little sister and you were dating a guy and you came to me and said that your partner or your boyfriend was liking all these pictures of hot Instagram babes all the time. I would be going, what the fuck is wrong with this guy like that's just weird behavior and it's not the kind of behavior you engage in when you're in a serious relationship or taking your relationship seriously in my opinion and that's not even getting into the fact that the kind of people that are online like obsessively engaging with like sex workers online and they know that they're never actually going to meet these people but they might actually think they do that's a whole other level it's a whole nother episode that i could go into and it's not the kind of person that i would want my friend or my sister to be engaging with i think that that person that they're dating would have a lot of work to do on themselves and it's not the kind of relationship you want to be in especially when you're recovering but let's just say i'm gonna put that aside like if you're with that guy well then maybe just think about whether or not that's the kind of thing you want to be dealing with for the rest of your life or the rest of this relationship or the next few years of your life however long you're with him but if this is just a situation where you know you've noticed that in the past like you've seen exes of his and he has been with people that have a vastly different body type or look than you or Um, maybe when you're watching TV, he's commented that he thinks someone is beautiful or something like that. These are just normal things. It's totally normal to be attracted to other people and talk about this in a relationship in those types of ways. And some of us get really toxically jealous, even in these very benign ways. And jealousy is called the green-eyed monster for a reason. It can take us over just like all right everyone you know what that means that's it for today's free version of back from the borderline the duration of this episode includes the rest of my response to saya and we go deep into the concept of body dysmorphia and jealousy in relationships and how these two things can be really destructive to our relationship with ourselves and make it difficult for us to connect with not only ourself and be okay with ourselves which is the most important thing it also makes it difficult for us to connect and expand in relationship with others especially our intimate partners so if that's something you struggle with you'll definitely want to unlock the rest of the episode and we go on for another 30 or 40 minutes talking about that topic to unlock the full version as well as hundreds of hours of bonus content Visit backfromtheborderline.com or click the link in the episode description to become a premium submarine today.
Now, not only do my premium submarines receive tons of additional content each month, but the support of my subscribers also allows me to focus on podcasting full-time and invest more in research and production quality. Now, premium submarines are pretty exciting. There are some different tiers that you can choose from. There's the standard premium submarine tier that just allows you to unlock full episodes, which is great, as well as some additional podcast content that I have coming up that's very exciting with me and my husband Zaz. And then if you are an ultra premium submarine, which is a bit of a higher tier, you will be able to access and unlock my voice notes, which is uh, just little, much more informal things that I share with my patrons. And it's just me chatting about what I'm going through. And I found that patrons really, really love those. So there's about... I think 13 or 14 voice notes now at the time of recording this so you can dive into that as soon as you become a premium member on patreon you can add the private patreon podcast feed to your podcast player and when you scroll through you will see an explosion of additional episodes and content so not only are you going to get all that stuff that i already described I've been doing this podcast for about two and a half years now-ish, and when I started, I recorded a ton of episodes on the topic of BPD, some really early interviews, and some of that stuff, my views have changed a bit, but I know many of you love this BPD content, so if you're wanting to unlock all the BPD-related episodes, that's available in my archive, which is all accessible through Patreon. So if you want to check those out, you're going to need to become a premium submarine, as well as some of my earlier interviews, where I'd say the recording quality just isn't as top-notch as my recording and production quality is now. And they're great listens still, but it's just something that I wanted to paywall so that on my main Back From The Borderline feed, you're just getting my top production quality and stuff that I'm really, really proud of just from a quality perspective if you're not ready to become a premium submarine that's okay too you can support my work by rating the podcast writing a review or sharing an episode with someone you care about to make sure you're notified each time i drop a new episode follow back from the borderline on your favorite podcast app and i also share daily photos quotes and additional reflections and resources with my community on instagram you can follow me there at Back From The Borderline. So there you have it. Lots of different ways to connect with me and lots of extra content for you to dive into if you join my premium submarines. That's it for me for today. Never forget, you haven't met all of you yet. Within your weakness, your inner chaos and disorder lies your greatest strength. If only you would dare to shine a light on it and transmute it. We have to get to the point where we're willing to be the fool to begin our hero's journey. Anyone, even you, can come back from the borderline. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.